0: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Aminatu. She had endometrial cancer and is the co-host of Call Your Girlfriend Podcast. Let's talk about it. (laughs) It's (laughs)
2: <laughs> God,
1: it's that <laughs> yeah, kind
2: of, uh, fine. <laughs> you know, uh,
1: that this is actually very true. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, just and a
2: wonderful <laughs> way to kick things off. <laughs> I wish I
1: had rhythm,
3: you guys. Some of us are on the ones
2: and the threes, and some of us are on the twos and the fours. I, yeah. you know, I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. People are different, people are different. Oh, it's fuck.
3: Fine. Brian's on a two <laughs> yeah, and a half, I think. He's, yeah, yeah, somewhere. he's point, somewhere, somewhere. He's somewhere. <laughs> he's somewhere, somewhere. Uh, well, Oaten, what a way to Oaten,
2: kick Oaten, this no, off.
1: Uh, Aminatu, I'm, I'm excited to to kind of dive deep into your story. Um, I guess for a little bit of context, you um, you are, you are no stranger to, to um, frank and intimate conversations. Uh, you are the co-host of Call Your Girlfriend podcast, which you uh, co-created and co-host with your friend Anne. Um, I guess uh, let's, let's get that out of the way first so we can so, like, get an idea of what uh, Call Your Girlfriend podcast is all about. And then, and then I think we're going like, to get in, into the nitty gritty about your own personal life.
2: Oh, my God. This is my first Canadian podcast, I think, and I'm dying about the about. (laughs) Thank you. So let's just get that out of the way. I love. um, We're going to profusely apologize (laughs) as well. Is is that a real stereotype? My brother lives in Montreal, and my only experience of Canada is like French Canada because, you know, like we're like semi-European, so it's funny. But um, nice to meet all of you. Um, Call Your Girlfriend is a podcast that is hosted. mm, I'm going to let that ambulance go by. Bye first. sorry we are still in the ambulance noise of uh, our pandemic. I, honestly, I'm loving. Um, I'm loving
1: the background sounds of Brooklyn, New York. It, it just, it's, it's the ambiance is beautiful. Absolutely.
2: yeah. We're in a pandemic. We don't know how the rest of the world is doing. It's rough over here. Um, Call your girlfriend is a podcast that is hosted by me and uh, my friend Ann Friedman, and um, that is produced by our friend Gina Delvac. It is a true labor of love, mm. a show that we have done for six years now. Um, wow, kudos! Uh, so well wild six years ago started a podcast and it really is at the heart a conversation between um ann and i two friends who are long distance and catch up on everything from the news to politics to pop culture to you know how um how we're feeling in our bodies and how we are managing our money and how you know like everything is a scam under the sun so (laughs) it really is uh it really is about truly us and the things we care about
3: So is it just, is, is it like, is it as, as simple as saying, you know, the things that the the things that you would have conversations about with your best friend on a podcast?
2: 100%. You know, um, Ann and I are two friends who we have lived far apart longer than we have lived in the same city at this point. And, um, and we're both like very nerdy about, uh, you know, processes for keeping in touch. And so at the beginning of our long distance friendship, um, we would literally send out an agenda that was like, okay, here are all the things I need to discuss with you, and if we don't write it down, we are never going to get through this whole thing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And, you know, and sometimes they are really personal, private things like uh, the people you're dating or the the things you, the, like, really mundane stuff about your life, and then other times it was like, oh, I really want to talk to you about this insane politician or this weird thing that's happening in online feminism. And so we have retained all of the, uh, You know the kind of the things that are not super personal are not the things that we talk about on the show, Mm -hmm. but we think that that is a fair experience of how most people are with their long distance friends. You got to make time to talk about the stuff that you care about. It's it's funny you say that Mm -hmm. because
1: I my 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 wife and I have been have we've we've been long distance together a lot throughout our our like ten year marriage, and we also host a podcast together. And I haven't actually like I haven't really seen my wife in like fuck uh i mean really it's been like almost six months since i've spent any like real time face to face with her and the pot like i feel like a podcast is something that all friendships or all relationships could really use especially in in this weird time that we're currently (laughs) in where we're spending so much time apart but um it it really is a wonderful tool to like and we talk about this too on on sick boy a lot you know in in terms of how do you have those how do you have those tough conversations with family members or friends who are sick who are dealing with cancer who are dealing with um you know what whatever their illness is how do you have those conversations and like that's a question that we always get asked and the the thing that the answer is like well you got to you got to make the time for that and that's one of the beautiful things about having a podcast with like a partner or your or your best friends is you just schedule mm-hmm. the time to actively get together and have a conversation and talk about the things that you like need to get off your back or or that you just want to delve into with that particular person and but it, it, it also goes to
0: show how like important that is to do if you don't have a podcast either. Yeah, right? ex- like, exactly, because, exactly because my point. You know, right, right. not we...
2: every friendship is going to host <laughs> no, a podcast no. together, and I really <laughs> <laughs> hope that that is not the takeaway here. <laughs> Everybody I, start one. <laughs> yeah, but I think that you are really right about spending some um, structured time with your That's friends it. and your community to talk about the things that you care mm-hmm. about. Um, and, you know, I am really lucky that I get to host a show with someone who is my best friend is someone that I, you know, just like trust and love Mm. so much. I I wish that I could have that kind of time investment in all of my relationships. It's not possible, but I do think that the takeaway there is that you have to make time to talk about the things that you care about. Otherwise life just. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Having
1: said that then and, and being, being a podcast host yourself, um, I know that, you know, a big part of what we're going to talk about today is your, your, uh, your experience with cancer. And uh I guess well yeah, I, I maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here but um how much how much has that experience played a role in what you're delving into in your podcast? You know like like or, or are you trying to keep your your experience with cancer separate from the conversations that you guys have have set out to have on your particular show on your particular platform?
2: That's a really interesting question. I think that, um, you know, cancer is part of my story. It's not the entirety of who I am. I mm-hmm. um, I think that, for me at least, it's fair to say that there, there are things in my life that have been harder than the cancer I've had. And so... It's not this. Uh, it's not a life-defining moment. It just really is a like, oh yeah, life is hard. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to just yeah. deal with that. Um, and I think that on the podcast itself, you know, I was dealing at the in the background of my show with dealing with getting, uh, with being sick for many many years, and then finally being diagnosed with cancer. And it was not something that was always at the foreground of the conversation, but it was something that was always happening in the back, and was super aware of it. I think that. That's normal because our show is not, um, you know, it's not really a show where we talk about ourselves. Mm. And so I think that if you are paying really close attention, you know, you have a lot of biographical details about us. You know, when we went to school, you know, like the soda we like or, you know, like whatever. Mm. You know some stuff about us because we're friends who talk about that stuff. But it is really an edited conversation about topics that we think are important, and it is very editorialized. Mm. And so, we did. Um, you know, I ended up doing. Um, I, I ended up disclosing on the show that I had cancer because at that point it felt important to tell, to tell everyone. Also, because I was going to be taking a break from it. Um, you know, I ended up doing a reported series around um, like kind of pelvic disorders. And then kind of the warning signs for that. And I have talked about the experience of having cancer, but it is not. Um, it's not a show about, uh, you know, like uh, Anne Friedman and her friend with
1: cancer. Mm. Well, mm. let's uh, let's did do f- the uh, let's do the Jeremy, Brian and Taylor and their friend with cancer podcast then. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and fucking dive deep into. So what kind of cancer did you have? You had you, you kind of just like sort of scratched the surface there, but it, it was uh, pel- pelvic related cancer.
2: Yeah, so I had um, endometrial cancer, which is a cancer of the uterus. It is one of the gynecological cancers. And um, gynecological cancers are really, uh, like, uh, there's nothing special about them. There's a lot of them. They're abundant and out there, and no one talks about them. And so I did not understand just how... uh, uh, the, yeah, I didn't have a rare condition. So many women have mm. gynecological cancers mm. and it, you know, for me, it was really interesting because my entire life, since I have been a menstruating person, so since I was 11 years old, I have had issues with my menstruation. Like my period is always too heavy. It was never regular. It was just never, it was not a great experience, but I just really was conditioned growing up in a way that I thought that all women were experiencing the same kind of pain that I was. So, you know, I was like, okay, great. Being a woman is playing through the pain. I did sports in high school and never complained once. I, Mm. you know, like had full-time jobs and never really took days off because, you know, guess what? Like being a lady is just being in pain all the time. (laughs) no, No one told me. And, uh, you know, and I think that it's I, – now I am not surprised by any of that because I do think that there is such a reticence to talk about one's, you know, like, menstruation and, like, all of – like, everything that happens in the vagina area is uh, – you know, those are still, like, very taboo conversations. But I really wonder what my life would have been like if – I had grown up in a family and in a society where, you know, as a 12 year old, I was like, okay, this is really painful and uh, Mm -hmm. maybe I shouldn't I shouldn't live with this pain. Yeah. And Mm so um, fast forward to, you know, being like 33 and um, not really understanding so much of (laughs) my body. And um, and getting this diagnosis that did not, frankly, like did not come out of nowhere. I mm-hmm. had been like really dealing with a lot of chronic illness. I would say in the last like five years before I got diagnosed in this very real way. And um, and so for me, a cancer diagnosis was in a way kind of a relief because it just felt like um like a diagnosis feels actionable. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think that if you if you have chronic conditions where doctors are like, eh. We don't Who really knows? know what yeah. to do. Like, sure, like you are in pain. Here is like more Tylenol, or here is more birth control, or whatever. Um, you, you know there there is just like a there is a kind of paranoia and really just like depression that mm. sets in about knowing that you are constantly in pain and there's it, it, yeah, to there is nothing. Yeah, there is like almost a
1: security it, in a label. You know, it's like you get you, yeah. you you get some sort of at least relief that you go okay, like you just said, actionable. Like we know this is a thing. Right. And I know that through everything that I've seen, whether through the media or, or through, you know, talking to other people, there's like a route we can take to try to take care of this one thing that you have just now labeled yeah. upon
0: me. And if, if you know what it is, you feel like, OK, well, even if it's not curable, per se, there might be a, a you know, there's a therapy or there, there, there's these these things that we can do that we know we can help you there are just more steps comfortable to take. Mm. There yeah. are steps to take. Yeah. There are steps to take. There's, you
2: know, there are like appointments you can go to. There's a whole way that you can, your mind it, and your time can be occupied by ooh. having a diagnosis. Even it, if it's not a good diagnosis, yeah. that is not it, true when you just don't know what you're sick with. Yeah. In
0: terms There's of a, the, the chronic, in terms of the chronic illness, like leading up to that, you said like for the five years before that you were, you were experiencing all of these other things as well. Were they all tied into that? That diagnosis, or are they just is is there just kind of a, a, a smorgasbord of things going on there? Yeah, it's a big I mean, word, it, Brian. It's a
2: smorgasbord of things going <laughs> on there, where where some of the things and and this is what is so uh, I think has been like so hard for me to even wrap my mind around with having cancer is that the symptoms for endometrial cancer are like maybe you're bleeding too much, your back hurts, and uh, you have cramps. That's literally every woman with a period. It's like, uh, that is, it's like fairly, it's a vague, uh, it's a vague rubric of, of symptoms. And, and also like not something that is really diagnosed in younger people. Mostly it's, it is a, um, it is mostly like women who are menopausal or sorry, I will say that again. Um, it is menstruating people who are menopausal, who, um, Mostly will be diagnosed with this because once you are in menopause, you're not supposed to have your period. So mm. once you're bleeding, it's like nine one one. What's going on here? Right. Um, those people tend to be older. But for me, I yeah, it's like I had the back pain. I'd had that for years. I had had you know like the the bad the 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 awful bleeding for years. But also I was experiencing these headaches. I had to have all these blood transfusions. I was every symptom that people with um uh you know all sorts of undiagnosed... Uh, like gynecological issues have mm-hmm. um, was something that I had been experiencing. Like I was never diagnosed with PCOS. I now understand that I had PCOS, mm. but no okay. one ever diagnosed me with that. Like uh, at one of my oncology checkups, the, the the oncologist brought it up and she was like, "How long did you have PCOS before you start? You know, like you started seeing me?" I'm like, "Ma'am, <laughs> no one has ever told me I have PCOS. So that Whoa. is why
1: PCOS is polycystic ov- ovary." O- ovarian, ovarian syndrome. syndrome
2: yeah ovarian syndrome good job, good nice. job, yeah, but it's like Great again job. like another really um another really common condition that people with um people with uteruses will have, and it it's just really fascinating to me that you know there is just an expectation that for women, your body really is all about reproduction, mm. and so my entire young life and adult life when I would go to the gynecologist which was often you know it was always like oh yeah like you can have a baby anytime you want i'm like i you know i'm like i would love to maybe have a baby one day but mostly i just want to have a normal life today can yeah. you make that happen yeah, for me right, can, yeah. I, can i play tennis and not like you know like drop a bucket of blood on the tennis court that would be nice <laughs> yeah. and so that, uh, did that
1: act, did that happen sorry. is that a is that a
2: <laughs> no that did not happen but when i was playing basketball in middle school i will never forget like like Body blocking this like a terrible girl grabbing the ball from her, and I was like, I am about to make the shot of my eighth grade career. Yeah. Like this is it, yeah. this is it, and just feeling this like ginormous amount of blood just like pour oh, down my, my ears into my underwear, oh. and it is a defining. uh I was like, yeah, my basketball career is over. Like I don't oh. think I will ever go for a shot again. But yeah, you know, it just, it really sucks. It really sucks. There are, um, menstruating is, um, is something that when it does not work well for you is really limits your ability to live a full and good life. Mm -hmm. And so many people around the world have to deal with it. And yet it's still a super taboo topic. Well, when
3: you, um, when you, when you were, when you were, when we really just started rolling into the conversation and you were talking about like, um, there are some and this is a bit of a Pandora's box, but there's there we come up with these narratives and like the taboo the taboo nature of these subjects starts from like a really early age and in the way that maybe it's our parents how our parents talk about it the community at large talks about certain issues the way that we're educated on educated about things you know like how how we treat um you know going through puberty and at least in my experience was largely like hit play on this you know, informational video. And you know, see you know penises and flying penises and vaginas and like and like falling from the sky. And It's like changes are falling, and it's like try to explain. And then it's like a- whoa 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 <laughs> whoa d- yes, you, that that's a real written, video. Yeah.
1: You guys both watch
3: that. Yeah, that's yes, a real so video. Exactly what you're is that about? what they're doing ah. in Canada? There's just penises yes. yeah. and vaginas
2: falling in a <laughs> yeah. video in like, like
3: an like, animated video. Yeah, with, with like wings. Yes, angel wings, angel wings.
2: I screaming. That's fucking crazy.
0: And that's just like and then
3: and then that is a. And then, like, with a little bit of, like, and, like, remember, you have to wear a condom sort of Sprinkled you know, in, thrown yeah. in there by the teacher mm-hmm. afterwards. And and it's, like, we don't want to and, – and so that's the where we get that information a lot. You know, if we're lucky to have parents that really dig into it and aren't shy about it, then that's a bonus. But, you know, most people are coming up with, like, a really – with, like, a an – a, just a built in nature of shying away from, from really being open about like, you know, the pain that you might feel in when you're, when you have your period or, mm-hmm. or like, or like you, Jer and, and, and other people we've talked to on the show with phimosis, mm-hmm. like where it's like, where you're like, Hey, my, 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 my dick is dick different. H- yeah. Hurts yeah, yeah. massively when I try to like masturbate or have sex. And it's like the embarrassment that mm-hmm. might come around that and all that stuff. It's like, that's just that's just like built in and sets us up for this maybe shying away from from seeking out help because we well, wanna, I, I whether
1: mean whether we're taught to not toughen not just up or but not just seeking out the help, Tay. It's like it's also the you know, it's like we we were or at least I've been learning this over the last, you know, last like couple of years, especially with like like shows like Explained coming out and talking about you know, women's mm. reproductive health. It's like it's not just people feeling like they can't go get the help. It's also the lack of funding for yeah. for like the science to go into actually explaining what the fuck is going on in the female body. Yeah. It's like, especially on the, female we, yeah, side. we just, yeah, oh, like, yeah. The just medicine
2: does not care about medicine does not care about women's no. bodies. Like the, if you want to open that can of worms of most of the drugs that we use are tested on yeah. men. Most of the protocols that we use are all geared towards how that works, and even just the way that we're speaking in this like male female binary, uh, right. frankly, is not right. great because not everyone fits into uh, the <laughs> binary of right. gender, right? And. Uh, yeah, but, you know, what you're saying, Taylor, is really resonating with me. Like, I grew up in a fairly conservative, like, African Muslim home. I remember, you know, like, I got my period and I remember telling my mom and I was so ashamed to tell her. Like, I don't even know, mm-hmm. what you know, I was like, my, my mom was not someone who made me feel ashamed about my body, but I understood that my body was not something to be, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's it's weird. And so... I I remember telling my mom, and I think maybe like the third or fourth period I had, my mom was actually sick in the hospital, and I didn't have any pads, and so she called me and she was like, we're going to have to tell your dad and your dad will get this stuff for you. And I remember thinking, I was like, I would rather die <laughs> yeah. Yeah. than have to talk to my father yeah. about this. And I think she like called him. <clears throat> and at some point he like called me into his, you know, his study. And he was like, here is some money for things you need, you know, and he couldn't look me right, in the right. eye. Coded it was, language. It was Yeah. It was a very weird thing. And then I, I went to this high school where like we, that was very religious and Christian. And I remember to like for, in in like doing all of the sports that I did, the coach very much telling all of the the girls on the sports team like a you know like we are not women who use our periods as excuses not to uh, you know like not to show up here every mm. day and do the drills, and so there is just this like bravado also that you you think you are you're doing but just being like yeah I'm not a complainer like all mm-hmm. these other women who like complains about PMS or whatever they're all like lying bitches yeah. and I'm just a cool <laughs> yeah, girl yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and. You know, and and all of it is just – it's really baked into the way that we talk about things. And, you know, and then you also go through life as a young adult. Being that, like, I know that I have had to have, like, uncomfortable conversations with sexual partners, you know, about, like, how are we going to treat sex when we're menstruating? Mm. Like, is that something that you're grossed out by or not? And if you are grossed out by it, then I definitely do not want to sleep with you. You know, like, it's just – this i just think that like if you are a man who sleeps with people who have periods uh you know you're gonna have to get used to blood yeah. and that it just i mean like grow up like body functions happen and but it you know it's it's all so hard to talk about because it all comes from this like place that we have decided is taboo and frankly it's really yeah. stupid yeah yeah and
3: Absolutely. then it, it spills over and it, and it spills over <sighs> into everything else i mean if you're if you're uncomfortable if you're uncomfortable talking about some of the most like basic human functions then you're probably not going to have you know I'm, I'm making a broad generalization but it's probably going to affect the success that you have talking about other hard mm. stuff that goes yeah. on in life which is a shitload of stuff and I know from my experience and I think I speak for Jeremy and Bry as well it's like doing this podcast and, and and having these conversations where we talk to people about you know some really tough shit and, and 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 a lot of times like lay our own shit out on the table too I mean definitely helps uh, you know, it's like, uh, I, you know, maybe in a, a, a super Canadian analogy coming your way, but it's uh, like shooting with a weighted puck, you know, it feels,
2: <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like literally visualizing it right now. Or, luckily uh, for or... you, I've started going to hockey games recently. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're
3: talking about. You know, you the regular puck feels ache. a lot easier when you start, when you, when you switch back. A
2: weighted
1: and, puck. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I do want to come back though, to your, to like your, your experience in navigating, uh, uh, navigating your 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 cancer diagnosis, like how how did you how did you come to find out that you had a- endometrial cancer? Like, was this just from a regular gynecologist appointment, and they were like, "Hey, whoa, this is weird. Like, we're we're seeing some abnormalities here," or or was this through like a a consistent struggle with, like you were saying, you're, this struggle with like your menstruation and always having these constant problems. <clears throat>
2: You know, it it was a real journey. Um, I I think two years or maybe a year and some change before I got diagnosed. Um, everything had just started becoming really unbearable. It was like any time I had a period, I had to have a blood transfusion because I was bleeding. Holy so Holy fuck! Just, what? Yeah, it was like it was it was wild. A blood where transfusion, where was, you know, like you were a blood transfusion every time, like bleeding like a gunshot victim, like just from having. I didn't wild. even know that it, that is is was that. a thing. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm curious to ask, like, is that something that some people with uh, who have periods, like, is that something that some people just have to do on a regular basis? I would say it's
2: not normal. It's not like normal, but it is a thing that happens to people all the time. So like people who bleed a lot definitely have a lot of iron deficiencies. So you kind of have to like do that. But if you bleed so much that you are losing as much blood as I am you have to have blood transfusions. And I was having these blood transfusions like fairly regularly. And the doctor that I was seeing at the time just kept giving me more, you know, like birth control. And they were like, let's see if this works and let's see if that works. And I had an IUD in and I was like, okay, like I'm just basically mainlining the hormones because at this point they're like, this is the best that we can do. And in the middle of that i also like left i was living in san francisco and moved back to new york which meant that i had to like start over with mm-hmm, a new doctor
3: mm-hmm, again, right, you know yeah. and so
2: i go to the new doctor and it is the first time that i actually have a black woman doctor And I walk into her office and I'm just a mess, you know, like I'm, I'm just, my anxiety's at an all time high. I'm one of those people that they have to take my, um, my pulse twice in the appointment because the first time it's just. 2.10? Yeah, they're just like, what's going on here? And I'm like, just give it five minutes. And then, you know, we're back to, we're back to normal. And she was the first doctor that she looked at me, and she said, um, she was like, let's talk about your anxiety. And I was like, I'm not anxious. I'm here for my period. And she was like, Amina, you were." She's like, I just asked you to take a deep breath. Like, how how much do you think you just filled your lungs up with that breath you took? And I thought she was complimenting on my, like, amazing swimming abilities. I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I was like, lady, I know, right? Like, my lungs, so full. And she was like, there is no air here. Like, you, yeah. like, you are hyperventilating. You are so tense. <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? And... And I kind of talked to her, and I was like, hey, I have been having this, like, issue for many years now, and it nothing is happening. Like, what mm. What am I supposed to do? And she – it was the first time that a doctor looked at me with compassion, and I don't think that it is an accident that this doctor was black. Um, mm. And she was like, well, she was like, let's start from the very beginning. Let's run every single test, and let's start from – you know, like, let's start from the beginning. She sent me out for an x-ray and all these things. And, you know, like, tests just take, like, forever yeah. to do. You
1: so
0: know, we are it, on this – it's so, it's so sorry to interrupt you, but it's mm-hmm. so interesting to hear, like when you said, uh, she said, Hey, let's, let's talk about your anxiety. Um, I had like this visceral reaction of like goosebumps and like this, this feeling of like, Oh, what a compassionate doctor. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking as you were talking through that and thinking like, fuck, why did I have that reaction that they did something that they should be do should be doing anyway? You know, like all doctors should have a level of compassion where they like identify things like that and see it and go. Oh my God, like I should be more aware of, yeah. uh, of this. Like maybe I should look into this. Maybe I should ask this, this patient some more questions about that. And and I'm, I'm just, I'm surprised that I had that visceral reaction to that when like, it should be status quo should be better than, than what it is. Right. It
2: should be, you know, but I like at my most generous, I like, you know, I also get that like being a doctor is stressful and it's a business and, you know, if they're really going to, if they're really going to diagnose you with everything that's going on, you know, I was like, let's really talk about the healthcare (laughs) system and how we're teaching people to be doctors. (laughs) But I do think that it is fair to say that for black women in the medical system in America, there is a lot of institutional racism that also just affects the way that you are treated as a patient. You know, Mm -hmm. I, when I go to a doctor and I say my pain is off the charts I really do mean it because I have been enduring pain for years and not complained. Mm. You know, like I know that when I say this is bad, we are talking like 12 alarm fire at this point. Right. But there are all these studies that show that like black women receive less pain medication at the hospital. Their pain is taken less seriously and whatever. And I was like, that is not an individual doctor's fault. It is truly that the system um mm. medicine mm. is also systematically racist, and if you read up actually about gynecological the history of gynecology in America, it was literally started by a man who was operating on slave on enslaved women, you mm. know, and so Whoa. that is like a whole other thread to unspool there about uh the <laughs> the sins uh the sins of the uh, of the fathers mm. and how that just like trickles down mm. generations later. But so in seeing my new doctor, I, you know, I'm feeling some hope and we are, we're going through all this testing. I'm doing the x-rays. Nothing is sh- showing up. And in the middle of that, she, um, leaves New York. Like she had, had like, she was leaving New York to, to move somewhere else. And I was devastated. And so she's like, I'm passing you off to like the, the new doctor in the practice who is amazing. And I trust her and she's going to continue your care. Move in with the new doctor and it's, you know, it it's kind of, it goes back a little bit more to status quo where she's like, let's start the workup again and see like what's going on here. And as she is running tests, I am feeling very much like I am running out of time. I was like, I cannot go back to this zero So I order like all like every gynecological textbook that I can get my hands on. And I was a project manager in my previous job. And I was like, I'm going to project manage my illness. Mm. And so I request all of my medical records from everywhere I've lived. My wall at home becomes like a conspiracy theory board. (laughs) What is like strings and and
1: pegs just linking everything (laughs) together. Right. (laughs) <laughs>
2: and so I, I'm looking at the things and, um, you know, and at the same time, like my my new doctor is awesome. And she comes back to me and says, like, oh, you might have this you might have this condition that is, you know, like sometimes it's benign and sometimes it's not. But we can treat it with um, we like we could we can treat it and see like what's going on. And I remember thinking at that point, like, actually, I was like, I want to explore this not being benign at all. And from all of my reading, I was like, the worst case scenario of what this can be is a kind of cancer. Like, it's a mm. kind of cancer. And the way to find that out is to get an MRI. And so at wow. this point, I have not, you know, I am very much like, I was like, I know my body, and I have reached I have reached the end of my rope. This doctor is being, like, very kind and compassionate, and she's doing everything that is within her power to do. But I'm also like, I'm 33, and I've been going through this for mm-hmm. years. I want like, this it to has end. Been, It has been 20 years of this. <clears throat> And so as, as I'm talking, you know, like I, I have this procedure where basically um, she inserts an IUD um, because she wants me to um, to be like mainlining the hormones from there. It's also a form of contraception. It was great. And we had discussed that when she put in the IUD while I was under, um, she would also put a camera up my vagina to see uh, what was really going on in there and This whole procedure is supposed to take like about 30 minutes. And when I come to, and the reason that I had to have an IUD put under is that I am a, um, I'm a sexual assault survivor and I never do well with the pelvic exam. And so one Mm. way that my doctor was like super compassionate and awesome, she was like, okay, great. I'm going to do this really invasive procedure on you and your insurance will cover it if we just like, she's like, let's knock you out. And then we don't have to have the tenseness. Of the, like, right. doing it while you're... Do um,
1: they, do they use... I, I just that's, looked that's, it up. It's a col, colp, colposcopy, colposcopy? Or uh, colposcopy. Colpo, so thank you. Colposcopy. Mm-hmm. Um, is that usually done while you're awake? Typically, like, typically? No. So oh. they,
2: so the colposcopy is done when you're okay. under. But so this was the deal. It was like, she was going to put the IUD in, and then I'm already under, so let's do the colposcopy ah, and find out what's Got you, got you. On. Okay. And when I come to from the IUD insertion, all I care about is I was like, hey, what like what did the colposcopy show? And she tells me that she did not do the colposcopy because of my um, my cervix was like just dilated in a way where she was like, if I did it, it would your body would reject the IUD. So she was like, let's let's schedule it for Uh. another day, which was like a totally plausible like, you know, I was like, you're the doctor. Great explanation. Mm -hmm. And just for me, did not sit well, whatever last resort of like gut instinct i have was like oh no this was my one chance of finding out like what was wrong inside my body and she Mm -hmm. didn't do it for like a very good reason and a very like plausible reason she was like we'll do it another day but for me i just felt in my gut i was like no i was like this is the you know like we made a deal before we made a deal before i went under and then the plan changed and it's not that i don't trust her i you know her explanation was totally plausible but for me it was just this um it didn't feel right I was like, actually, Mm. I care less about the IUD and I care more about the, like, can you just look and see? Because at this point I'm convinced that there is something very wrong with me. Yeah. And you were like this close to getting
0: that answer Mm -hmm. in your mind. Right. I could understand why you'd feel that way.
2: Right. And so, Mm. you know, and she's like giving me drugs to like to, to treat this thing. And it's mostly like more hormones and uh and then my body ends up rejecting the IUD anyway. I was making a sandwich and my IUD was like on the I was like poo bearing it in my house just wearing oh, a t-shirt and making a sandwich. And there's the I love telling the story on your podcast and grossing everyone it. out, but it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and there was legit an IUD on the ground. Oh, I was like, what is gi- this Whoa. string of it was so nuts. <laughs> Y'all, it was so nuts. It was so nuts. God, what does I an like, IUD
3: look like? I don't it's know if I so know what small. It was like it's so small. It's like a, it's it's so like a little
1: it's copper like This like little T-shape. Yeah. It's like a little Yeah, exactly. It looks like it looks kind of look look like the like copper like one a, is
2: the <laughs> copper one is the old school oh, okay, one. The, okay. Like the one that has hormones on it is like a tiny bit of plastic. It's like a little like a shot. I like how you said you were it's kind of it's kind of similar to the
1: shape of a uterus, right? Like it's got like that sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, I really or like you like described yourself. Just saying. As, you know, uh, as, as, as poo bearing? <laughs> poo bearing it. Oh, yeah, that's that was so hilarious. good. That's my new thing. Like, I'm going to poo bear it all the time around my head. Listen, house.
2: <laughs> when you're at home, sometimes you poo bear it. You're like, you're wearing a t shirt, no underwear. It happens. It happens.
1: <laughs> Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this very short break.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jessie Crookshank.
2: Um, but anyway, my body ends up rejecting this IUD, which to me is another sign of like, okay, my body has fully rejected Western medicine, so let's talk about it. And at this point, the next recourse is this um, is this MRI. An MRI is awful. If you've never had an MRI and no one has told you, Mm. it is a terrible, It's terrifying, right? I was so not prepared for the noise, no one had told me. It's like a Stanley Kubrick movie. I'm like, Wow, 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 (laughs) wow. (laughs) Yeah. And it like lasts forever. It was like 90 minutes. Oh, wow. And I was so lucky that I didn't have to have my full body in because it's obviously my pelvis. But I was like, Mm -hmm. if I had had to go in here with my head, I would be screaming. Like there was just no way. Oh, that's wild. I had one on my
3: pelvis and it was, and I was full body, but mine wasn't, um, I had one last year. I broke my pelvis, but, um, it wasn't 90 minutes god damn mine, mine was, was like
2: 90 minutes i was that's probably so 10,
3: 15 maybe 20 minutes but fuck 90 minutes <laughs> i remember Tyler t- Taylor
0: telling us about the sound though and it sounded oh. so and it's like a odd. different pattern so of noise
3: every time it, they do the imaging and it's so loud and they're like don't move don't i know no, like stop moving
2: total alien total alien noises but anyway i promise i'm going to wrap the story up but anyway long story short uh, you know like the technician was like when I went in, was like, oh, your doctor will call you next week. And as I was leaving, he's like, your doctor will call you. And I was like, okay. Like, you know, I was like, y- you're, you're seeing me. I am seeing you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I got called into the hospital literally the next day. And the, it was really funny because I don't think that the doctor used, uh, she did not use the words cancer. She just kept mm-hmm. talking about a tumor. She mm-hmm. was like, yeah, she was like, there's a tumor, and she's showing me where it is or whatever. And I'm like, lady, I'm a civilian. Like. <laughs> just just yeah. tell me that what this is and she's like well there's a tumor and i was like is it cancer and finally she says well yes evidence of a tumor like you know she's still using all the medical right, window. yeah yeah. and yeah, i'm yeah. like we, i'm just heard a, i'm a gray's anatomy <laughs> doctor so just give it to me straight. i know
0: me too totally <laughs> uh, brian that actually is shit. yeah brian you do love that <laughs> but, 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 but we've heard that a number of times and where people say that like the doctors or medical professionals won't say cancer they just you know, say mm-hmm. tumor, benign, malignant, or whatever it is. But um, to me, like, I would want to know that. I would want to hear, just tell me it's cancer. If it's cancer, just just tell me it's cancer. Because, again, like, that goes back to the the process and, like, feeling like once you have that diagnosis, we can attach, we, we have some type of, like, understanding of what it means to be diagnosed with cancer. So... Just in terms of, like, the mental health side of it, like, grieving that and grieving that diagnosis, it it, it just helps to... I I would imagine that it would help to hear it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've never had to give anyone that kind of bad news. And so I do... I guess I have compassion for doctors who have to constantly just tell people bad news. And I do think that, you know, a way of protecting their own mental Mm. health is couching it in a lot of just this, like, medical jargon. Because... You know, because the next thing is everyone is like, "How long am I going to live? What's going to happen?" And I was like, "Well, you yeah, know, I'm, like, I'm not equipped yeah. for that." And no shade to doctors, but um, you know, they are generally not uh, emotionally equipped for the other side of the job that they have ooh, to do. Ooh. Also, yeah. So yeah. yeah,
3: I think I think that there's something in there where, where, where a doctor is most likely trained or. Um, to, 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 to give news in this way, in this way. And it's mm-hmm. probably something that's, you know, st- I, relatively standard. And the, the, the shortfall is that everybody is different. So in the way that we're sitting around and I think I, I think I, I think if I, if, you know, gun to my head, I think I agree with you. I'd like to hear cancer. Cause then it really does it. Like I would feel like, just tell me. Um, and then, and then, and then there's Those other the people, people that'd be like, Holy shit, yeah, don't say yeah. cancer. Like yeah, I right. like I'm gonna die tomorrow yeah. now, um, where the reality might be like it's a tumor and like we can we <laughs> feel confident we can you know shoot it with radiation and shrink it and right. What, but also
2: know. to be fair to the doctors, part of not telling you is that all they do know is that it's a tumor, and in order to even tell you what's up with the tumor, they have they to need, remove it. Yeah, they have right, to remove yeah. it to do a pathology, and yeah. so. You have to be able to, you know, because they they tell you, they're like, we think it's stage one, two, three, four. But truly, like, they don't know until they, like, remove it from your body. And then they look at it, and then they can tell you exactly what's going on. Right. Because they can't even
3: really tell you that it's – can they tell you that it's cancerous before they do a biopsy on it? I
2: I don't think so. I I think they have to take it
3: out and then say – Malignant at nine, at nine, Seattle yeah.
2: Grace, at least at Seattle Grace, the hospital that uh, Brian and I trained at, um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> fuck.
3: oh man, that went over my head for a <laughs> sec. But now <laughs> oh, I hear you. Now uh, I, uh, I, I got gotcha. you. The Grey's Anatomy. The
2: Grey's like, Anatomy. I
1: was like,
3: yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was I went to Seattle. Right. Okay, Seattle yeah, Grace. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Seattle Grace. That sounds real
1: <laughs> for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I think that all of it, all of it is really fraught because so much of your personality depends. Like mm. whatever happened depends. I will say that my doctor, she asked me if she could give me a hug. And it was such a human oh, moment oh, because really I could tell that it was really it was it looked like it was harder for her than it was yeah. for me. I was giddy. I was just like, oh, my God, cancer. I could work with that, <laughs> that you know, right. but I can't work with not <laughs> knowing what yeah, is happening. Yeah. <laughs> and and it wasn't until I left that I I got this like sense of like being really I, I went. To, they, she made me talk to the hospital um, um, social worker who was. Um, you know, I'm not saying that this is the case for everyone, but my hospital social worker was definitely a trainee and did you know, like was not equipped for mm. the energy that I was bringing to my diagnosis. So we were very mismatched right. yeah. and that ended very badly. They were like, do you want to come back next week? And I was like, absolutely never again. Mm. Like I have better coping skills than this person. But yeah, I just, for me, it felt like really freeing. And actually it was a... It started me on this journey of really being like, OK, what are the things that matter to me and not? And, uh, you know, and I've always been someone who my entire life I'm convinced that I'm going to die very young. My mom died like when she was very young. And so I in a way, I just I, I'm obsessed with dying. Mm. And so that was not it, it didn't scare me the way that, you know, it would have if I'm not someone who is. Mm it's anytime I do anything, I'm like, oh, I'm going to die today. Like probably should make my bed. Ooh. Probably should wear my nice underwear. Probably should like, I was like, I'm going to yep. die today. <laughs> and so it wasn't that, it wasn't that big of a shock, but it was, um, you know, it was, it was definitely a journey and it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think telling people I had cancer was much harder. than That's what yeah. I was
0: curious about. Um, especially, you know, like talking about, at the beginning, talking about how you you host this podcast with your best friend in terms of the conversation that you had with ann offline like what was it like when you first um told her her or or any of your other close friends like how how did you go about doing that
2: i so there was a small group of friends that I had been keeping appraised in the like months leading up to this like they were i was like here's what today's test showed, and this is the thing so i I kind of had an inkling that I would start having to disclose this stuff. So I think there was like a group of like eight people who are my kind of like my closest friends and support where um, and a lot of them live not in New Mm -hmm. York where I really needed to keep them up to date. And I think the way I remember it, at least, is that like when I the day I found out I instead of taking the train home, I took this really long walk um, because the hospital is like way uptown in Manhattan and I took this really long walk to down, downtown and I just listened to music um, and, and just like try to figure out like, okay, how am I going to tell everyone I need to tell? And what is the best way to just tell everyone at the same time? Because I am so exhausted by this. Mm-hmm. And so I remember calling Anne on that walk and just letting her know, you know, like I was like, here's what the diagnosis is. I'm sure she was super compassionate and clear or whatever. I truly do not remember it. I then sent out an email to the to the group of friends. You know, some of them tried calling me immediately, and I was like, sorry, I'm on this really delightful walk. Can't <laughs> really talk to you Boy. right now. And then, um, you know, and then I, like, made an Instagram <clears throat> post because I was just... I hate having to repeat myself. It's my number one pet peeve in life is just having to deliver the same I information to people. Like,
3: yeah. it oh doesn't matter
2: if it's a grocery order or it's a, you know, like, hi, my, my life is severely impacted by a medical. Diagnosis. God, you must've hated promoting a <laughs> book. <laughs> oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate all of this. Um, yeah. And so I remember making this Instagram post cause I was really focused on like, okay, what is every cliche I know about cancer and about illness and also like just i like boundaries are really important to me and i think that um you have to state your boundaries really clearly with people if you expect them to know how to deal mm-hmm. with you. and so i um i should probably go back and read that post, but i think the gist of it was i have cancer. i really don't want to make it about me because actually this kind ca- this cancer is super prevalent. like that was what was so shocking to me mm. once i started reading about it. i was like, "oh." like Hundreds of thousands of people have this cancer around the world, and I am just hearing about it for the first time, so I should probably learn more. And I was also just trying to find a way to deflect from myself, and so, I, you know, I was like, okay, like, read about endometrial cancer, um, you know, like, uh, please sign up for healthcare. It was, it, was in, it was in December, and so our, like, healthcare enrollment period was starting, and I... Like, I almost didn't sign up for health that year because I was like, I'm young and healthy. Mm. I don't need this. And if I hadn't, well, I, I, my life would be bankrupt today. And I did it on a fluke. And so I encourage everyone to sign up for health And I also told everyone that I, for as much as I would, like, I was like, if you want to pray for me, go ahead and do it. But, like, I don't want to hear anything about alternative medicine to cancer. Like, that was my big boundary. Mm. I was like, I, I am giving my body to Western medicine. I'm going to do all the things that my doctor says. I do not want to hear about a potion or a drink or a. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I was like, I, I am. I'm gonna trust the lasers. Yeah. This is what yeah. I'm doing. I want Chernobyl in my body. And and that I think was the hardest boundary to enforce. Yeah. Like all in all, is that so many people have you know and you I, I, give and I understand sense. why. I understand why everyone has you know like everyone has their own experience with cancer and they have their own experience with whatever. Even in the cancer support group that I was in, a lot of people were very distrustful of Western medicine. Mm. Mm. And for me, I was like, I am the opposite. I was like, I, uh, Western medicine's not great, but it's what I'm putting my trust and my faith yeah. in. And, and, did, you know, like respect my choices.
3: Did you feel it? Did you on that note of your the, on the, the note of the support <laughs> group? Did you feel like you were brought in to um, to any sense of community when you got your diagnosis? Did you feel like you were with people um, or was that something that didn't really resonate with you?
2: You know, in the beginning, it didn't resonate with me because I have such a strong friend support system already where I was like, why do I need to? be friends with people who have cancer. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. I was like, I feel so supported in my, in my regular life. And I do think now looking back on it, a lot of that also was like a, you know, it was denialism. Yeah. Like I was, I was like, that was a way of protecting myself Ooh. where, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm the only person that I know is sick, then, you know, I'm like, I can roll with that. But I think that seeing sickness all of the time is something that would be really rough. And so yeah. I, when I, the, The first, really, uh, treatment for endometrial cancer is that you have to have a hysterectomy. And so the first online support group that I joined is this community called Hyster Sisters that has been around forever. And is low-key actually great because it's just, like, email, you know? Like, there are forums and things like that if you want to be inside of them. I was not in the forums. I was like, I just want the emails, and I want some of this Mm. stuff. And then as the weeks progressed... You know, people started telling me about, like, Facebook groups for people who had had hysterectomies because not everyone who has the hysterectomies has them for cancer reasons. So Mm. Facebook actually is a great place for uh, this kind of stuff where you're like, I don't know anyone. Like, look up a group for anything and it exists. Mm-hmm. And so it's the only thing that I would ever recommend Facebook for is the yep. group function. And so I joined a couple of groups that were like um people who had my specific kind of cancer and some of them were like we were diagnosed in the same month so we got to follow each other. Oh wow. And um and I also jo- joined a group for people who had had like just hysterectomies because you should know. And um and I ended up joining an in-person support group. Um, which was really, you know, I, I was so resistant to doing it. And those women are now some of my favorite people in the entire Mm. world because we, you know, we like went through some Mm. shit together and it was really nice. Is that like, is that Mm.
1: the, is that the, what, what was the part of it that made it worth it in the end? Was it, was, is it, is it, is it strictly because of the fact that that if you, if you hadn't gone and done that, there would have been more isolation or feelings of like aloneness or, or, or is it, you know, is it just, is it just because you just can't help, but, but find healing with, within having close and meaningful contact with other people who have been through the same experience as you? Like what, like, is that, you know, like, I, Cause I get it. I get, I get the idea of being resistant to it because I've always been resistant to like s- online cystic fibrosis f- support mm-hmm. groups. Cause I've, I've just been like, ah, it just seems like a pity party. Um, or at least yeah. that's what, it, that's and what it, you've, you, got the fr- you've got. And you've got the, and you I I have you've the friend got the, and you've got, like
2: you've got that good support right. system. You already have a good support <clears throat> but, system. But
1: then it wasn't until after we started the podcast that I started to realize how, how rich it can be to have conversations with other people who have gone through the same experience as me. You know, and like, and so, yeah. There's something in both sides,
3: I think, you know, like there's in, in the, you know, if you've, if you've got no, if you've got no support, if you've got no sort of uh, built in support system, then those, those communities are are going to probably do a lot for you because they're going to make you feel like you're heard. They're going to make you feel like you're not alone. Um, And, and, and even if you do have that, have that built in support system you're lucky enough to have that support system where you feel like you can have those conversations with the people around you, which like a lot of people yeah. don't. And a lot of people, it pushes people away from them, unfortunately, which yeah. really sucks. And um, I mean, obviously that's a big part of the podcast and, and and what we're trying to do. But, you know, if that is the case, then, you know, you, you, or or if you do have that friend, that support group with friends and family, um, at the end of the day, they're not going as as great as they might be and as supportive as they might be, they might not get, they might not get it all because, you know, Jer, like for you, like, for you and me, for example, like I don't know what it's like to take all the yeah. pills that you do. And yeah. I don't know what it's like to do to wake up and wake up and do the mask every morning and the, the coughing and all the stuff that comes. There's with a it, limit you know?
1: to your love.
2: There's a limit to um, love Wow, wow, how are you going to clear that sample? You know, I think I think that, you know, all of that is really true I was, um, and we write about this in our book Because we write about illness between, um, you know Being a point of stretching between me and Anne Because um, she is the most, like, understanding and super flexible You know, like, really rolled with the punches of me being mm. sick but it was also a stretch in our relationship because there was so much that she just, you know, for her, like, couldn't be there for and also couldn't understand. And, you know, also, like, she lives far away. Mm-hmm. But I will say that, like, my my friends are iconic and amazing. Like, I um, – for someone who was, like, living alone and single, a huge experience of my hysterectomy and later cancer treatment was that I would go to these support groups where most of the women were married with yeah. kids. And I always felt like I was the most supported person in the room. I was like, I am, you know, I'm like, I, my friends have made sure that my house is clean. There is food in my fridge there. You know, I was like, I I want for nothing. Like the Mm -hmm. logistics of like, I'm friends with the most like Capricorn Capricorns and the spreadsheets were great. Like I just (laughs) never a moment where a thing was dropped. I do think that like part of like joining the support groups for me and specifically the in-person one. Was not – it was a place where I had to – like, I had to stretch myself emotionally because I think that it's – you know, for as much as we're all, like, gregarious whatever adults or whatever, um, there's not a world in which I would have ever met these people if it Mm -hmm. hadn't been through the support group. And now they are such a rich part of the texture of my Mm. life. And Mm. I do think that there was something about submitting to, like, sure, like, I'm young and I think I'm cool and I'm whatever, but – I was really inflexible in how people were coming into my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that so much of, so much of what the support group brought to me was really this understanding of like, okay, even if I refuse to, to like commune with people who have again, ecological cancer, I am in community with mm-hmm. them, you know, mm-hmm. like whether I, whether I tell myself that or not, I was like, I'm part of this community. And and I don't know, like, I, I've had so many, like, beautiful friendships that have come out of that. And and with women who are so much older than me, you know, like, they're all these, like, older, like, badass New York City broads. And I, I was just, I would have never met right. them. I would have right. never met them, and I, I cannot imagine my life now without the women in that group. Like, we're, we're in a walking group together, <laughs> and it's so fun, and, co- and COVID has been, like, awful because um, we've just been so super isolated from sure. each other, but we're finding ways to connect, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I think that for me, it was also, like, a really humbling experience of I am someone who I think... I think of myself as someone who is really strong and I don't need anything. And, uh, you know, and that's, like, partially true, but also I don't need anything because the people in my life love me so much that they make me feel like I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. But I do think that um, it is really important to to open yourself up to having a different kind of experience and to meeting people that you share something in common with, especially if it's illness. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you're going to be best friends with, you know, a lot of those people. Like, I... Sometimes there's like still the women the at women the, the, the hospital Yeah, there's still people at the end of the day. Sometimes the women at the hospital will say things that I'm like, you're voting for yeah, who? Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> what? You know, and I'm like, excuse yeah, me? Yeah. <laughs> like we I was like, no, like you cannot be a meaningful part of my life. <laughs> but there there is there was really something about like just it was really humbling for me. It was really, yeah. really humbling. And I think also it just it reminds me that like I am not very good at being gentle with myself. Mm. And I think that so much of avoiding the support system of the hospital is that, you know, I think that it feels indulgent because at the end of the day I was like, sure, I had this cancer experience, but everything went relatively easy for mm. me, you know, which mm. is such a demented thing to think about, like, dealing with mm. illness. But I'm just like, yeah, I was like, my operation went well and I had, like, few complications and then my recovery was fine and then the radiation went well, you know. I Like, it's just this refusing to to understand that I went through something really traumatic and I mm-hmm. think that just being, um, being around other people who are experiencing the same thing as I am, you know, whether it's like, oh yeah, your bladder is doing that weird thing too, like you, you know, like you're having all yeah. of these weird side effects, is such a reminder of the fact that, like, yeah, we did go through something mm-hmm. like really hard and traumatic together. You're and, bound to, you know, and yeah, you're bound to, so you're, you're bound to take something. Yeah. You're not alone. You're
1: bound to take something from yeah. that. Yeah. Um, uh, mm-hmm. This okay. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a question then that that we. That we typically ask most of our guests.
0: Um, and Jared, before you ask that question, that's the the last one. Before we get get into wrapping up, I did want to ask one more question about the hysterectomy. Um, because when you have a hysterectomy, it does that does that um, set your body into early onset uh, menopause, or, menopause or trigger? early, is it, what is it called? Early,
2: um, early menopause, or I believe they call it medical menopause. But, so, what triggers menopause is, um, not making hormones, which, uh, is, like, that's tied to your ovaries. So, I had a total hysterectomy, which means that my uterus is gone, my ovaries are gone, my fallopian tubes are gone, and I want to say, like, uh, the top part of my vagina, maybe? Like, it was, like, a radical, radical hysterectomy. And so, the minute that your ovaries are gone, you are in full medical menopause. And that shit hits you like a ton of bricks. And so in some ways, I always joke that I was like, you know, cancer was easier than menopause. Honestly, menopause has been like Ooh. a completely different beast. And that's like just another part of life mm. that women don't mm. talk about. I'm like, I'm yeah. a, I'm a legit like... Old school, been calling myself a feminist since I was young. I've, like, read, you know, I've read all the books, like, Our Bodies, Ourselves. I've done the Vagina Monologues, all of them. And menopause was has been a shock to my right. system. Mm-hmm. And that is a whole, you know, like, that's a whole other conversation about yeah. just, like, the ways that we, pri- like, in women, we prize fertility as, like, this, you know, it's it's a sign of youth Ooh. and, like, being... Vivacious or whatever, and I was like, "Well, I was like, I uh, lost my uterus when I was thirty three. Does it mean that I am no longer young right. and, uh, yeah. you know, and like a contributing member of society?" Did, did it did it I, affect
1: um, your like Did it affect your feelings towards like your own I- identity as a as a female?
2: No, because I think that I have understood from a really long time that you're uh you know, the biological parts of your body are not what um what like make you, make you a woman yeah. at all and what make me. I think that a thing that I was really unprepared for though, and it's something that I've had like a complicated relationship with, is that I think that if you had asked me when I was having a hysterect like my doctors were all very much like, um, you should freeze your eggs. Right. Because like you should freeze your eggs. And I ended up not freezing my eggs for many reasons. One of them being that it would have delayed my treatment. One of them being that I didn't want more hormones in my body. Um... And also, because of the cost associated with all of it, I was like, well, yeah. if I don't have a uterus, yeah. I have to get a surrogate. Like, you know, I was right. like, I, I made someone, like, do the the math of it. I was like, if everything goes right, like, everything goes right, and my friend who's a lawyer does the paperwork, how much will this cost? And it was north of $100,000. I I wow. made a decision for myself that, you know... And I, and I asked myself, I was like, if I had $100,000 in the bank tomorrow, what am I going to do? Am I going to buy a baby or am I going to, you <laughs> Get know... Get a like, Ferrari! Buy some yeah, shoes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: you know, like,
2: and I was like, I am not buying a $100,000 baby. And, <laughs> and I remember the fertility doctor at the time telling me that it was a big mistake and I got really upset. Like, I, I got really, really upset. And I, I believe that he should have phrased that differently.
3: Yeah, but definitely. But
2: now, now with the hindsight of a couple of years... I wish I had done it because it's just an option, yeah. you know? Like, I don't right. think that it's an option I would exercise still. Like, I don't think that I would, like, rush out and, you know, unfreeze the eggs and, like, find $100,000 mm. $100, to make that mm-hmm. happen. But it's there. But but I yeah, think but that, like, option. as you get better, you know, as you get better and you look back on your life, you, you start, conco- you know, like, you just you kind of retcon the whole thing and it's like, well, Mm. I didn't give my chance. I didn't give myself a chance at having, you know, like biological children, which is not the only way to have a family BTW. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I have been really surprised at how painful that has been. It's also true that it's got, it's gotten, it's gotten a lot better. My first year out of surgery, I had a full meltdown over it. I was like, I cannot believe I did this, you know, or I, whatever. And And all of it is so unknowable, right? It's like I could have frozen my eggs and still, you know, they would have never amounted to, like, viable Mm -hmm. human beings. But, like, Mm -hmm. all of it is so unknowable. But I do think that giving yourself some options, because I realize that that's actually what I'm mad about. I'm not mad about the fact that I'm not going to have my own biological kids. I'm mad about the fact that I don't have the option to. Yeah. And that is the, you know, that's the thing that I'm working through. But... (laughs) I'm I'm proud to say that every year it's gotten a little bit easier, you know? Like, I do think I talk to a lot of people who, for various reasons, have not been able to have um, children and or to, to, like, carry their own biological children. And a thing that I, like, everyone has said that has been, like, a real comfort to me is that they're like, yeah, they're like, a year comes where you just accept it and it's just not a big deal mm. anymore. And you're just like, yeah. And mm. I already know this. I was like, having your... Having your own kids is not the only way to have a family. I was like, the, and and that was a calculus that I made when I decided not to freeze my eggs. I was like, I'm not going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on, you know, this fake idea of family when I could adopt kids yeah. or I could end up with a partner that already has kids or you know, or maybe I also just want to be child free. Like all of those are amazing ways to right. be, mm-hmm. and. Um so yeah so I've been surprised at like my feelings around that. I'm definitely working through them. Ooh. I think yeah, it's getting easier, it's getting better. But uh the whole thing is kind of a crapshoot. It just it sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the, and we, I, we, I,
3: I I apologize Jared, cuz I actually do have one more one more wow, one more all these one apologies. more apologies. To... You guys just
0: apologize <laughs> to each I'm so other. Sorry. I love this. I'm so this. sorry. I'm Sorry-ay. so sorry about that.
3: Sorry. <laughs> 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 um uh I I wanted to to highlight before before we do wrap up um that you said something well now, maybe about ten minutes ago that w- I think when we start when you when you said that you had the hysterectomy um I kind of thought I kind of thought and going back to kind of the beginning of our conversation we were talking about like the way that we the way that we talk about the human body and the way that we that there's taboo surrounding talking about this stuff, and it starts from an early age and it gets baked in and it 's in our society it 's in our family it 's in our friends um and i'm not a person that likes to look back and go what if i'm just i'm just not that's just not you know march forward and and do with what you've got but maybe going back if the narrative is different from the beginning not that it's not that you don't still end up without your uterus and without your ovaries and everything but like i don't know if the conversation's different from the beginning does the chain of events ultimately change for somebody out there who who feels more comfortable having those conversations earlier, having those conversations with different people, and they're more accepted, and they're more, and you're more like, yeah, you should get that checked out, or whatever. And then you end up getting, you end up like, you end up getting maybe earlier care or better care for for whatever reason, because just from the outset. The taboo nature around the subjects isn't there, mm-hmm. and and I and I kind of had that thought. Not not and again, not saying that like, you know, if it was just that little shade different in the way that we talk about it, that you know, you you don't end up with, you don't end up with endometrial cancer. But you know, I don't know. It just I like just if think there's about an that. Open, and open I, conversation I
0: think, around this stuff does does it help us? catch things earlier yeah right does it change it it in a way I think it
2: absolutely does I Mm. think that I you know I can only speak to my own experience but I know like talking to my friends who are women I understand that there is just an amount of pain that every woman just lives with that is like honestly like at this point I'm like it's ridiculous I when I was growing up whenever my dad had a cold our entire household would, like, grind to a halt. It's just like, my dad has a cold, you know, like, everyone is deputized in Médecins Sans Frontières now. We are all, you know, like, we're all doing the things. Like, we are are tending to him. And there is a way that we are all, you know, like, we're all very dismissive of man flu. Like, I always, you know, I, like, even with my adult, women friends who like date men or whatever anytime a man we know is sick we're always like ugh, like man we're always making fun of them and I was like actually I am reframing this conversation to say that like a thing that men do that I find um admirable is stretching it but I think a thing that I would (laughs) like to adopt for myself is that there is a full and total refusal to be uncomfortable in your body when you don't feel good, whether, you know, it's like a common cold or you actually have, you know, something more severe. That I shut I it now, down
3: completely. Yeah,
2: shut down completely. But now, you know, I always, I, I wish that, like, that was something that had been ingrained in me mm. as a child. And I was like, instead of just enduring pain as something that is uh, admirable, I would say, like, hey, actually, this doesn't feel mm-hmm. good. This just doesn't feel good. And it is something that I will keep pushing towards, um, investigating and figuring out because Mm -hmm. for me, it just, it took, it took a really long time and, you know, and I, I'm with you. I don't do the what if, like, there's no what if in which, like, I still don't have cancer And, and, and to be really clear, not having a uterus is the best fucking thing that's ever happened to me. I love it. I... Yeah, I'm like, would not trade this back. This lifestyle is lit. Um, <laughs> love it. And so, you know, so I I don't, I'm not like super sad about that. But I do think that just, yeah, it's like not, not taking pain as something that you have to endure. Yeah. And it's like you should ask questions and you should push. And also, you should be skeptical of your doctors. Not in the sense that you should be combative with your doctors and not trust them. Mm, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, your body is your own equipment. And, uh, you know, and a doctor is, you know, not to be like a crass American about the whole thing, but maybe in our healthcare system, this is helpful. You know, at the end of the day, I was like, it is still a business and you get what you pay for and you still have to be involved in um, in your own care. And I know that I have such a deference to like people who are experts, whether they're doctors or they're lawyers or they're whatever, because they have degrees that I don't have and they know Mm. things that, you know, I, I don't know. But I do think that a really basic understanding of how, you know, like the systems that just keep you alive is what is going to keep keeping you alive. And so I think that it's why I was really excited to talk to you all, because I think that these are, you know, there's a world in which people are like, oh, these are just like really self-indulgent, like fun conversations or whatever. But at the end of the day I was like this is literally how friends save each other's yeah. lives all yeah. the time. It's like mm-hmm. dumb conversations yep. about like what your poop yeah. looks like or like how you're For peeing real. or like what do you mean your dick hurts when you try yeah. to masturbate? You yeah. know like th- like this is the stuff <laughs> yeah. that this is the stuff that actually makes a difference with people like you know I'm like I sure like maybe a PSA is helpful but I do think that among friends and um you know like among the people who like care about you and think about you and listen to you this is the stuff that really, really, really mm. resonates and it is lifting a stigma and it's lifting shame. And, you know, I just, and all of it is just, when you think about it, it's so silly that we have decided mm. that. That we, we get so like, weird some about it. Rubric of things that we yeah. can talk about yeah. and then there's other, you know, I'm just like, we're alive and we're here. I don't care if there are weird things that happen in our body. I'm just so glad that we can all be together to yeah. talk about them. So. Mm-hmm. Aminachi,
1: what, what would you say is the biggest thing that your, your experience with endometrial cancer has taken away from you?
2: Uh oh, man, hi that's a tough question. I think, you know, like the thing the thing with kids, like probably like the experience of like, mm, like could I ever have my own children? Um but I don't have like big regrets mm-hmm. about it. So truly I think not to be like a like cancer is so cliche. People are it's like why all the cancer memoirs are so cliche <laughs> and dead <Yeah>. because <laughs> you're just like, I've seen the light and now I just, you know, like my life is rich and amazing. But I will say that I feel incredibly lucky that at a young enough age, I understand just how, like, precious and precarious life is, you know? And I think that that has—I keep focusing on actually, like, what having cancer had, like, gave me. Not that I wish it on anyone or that I think that there's anything admirable about being sick. I was like, being sick is being sick, and it fucking sucks. But I do think that, like, my life is forever changed, in the sense that like i know exactly who in my life matters to mm-hmm. me i know what things matter to me like you know there are there were the people that i there were people in my life that i expected to be there when i was sick who were nowhere to be found and it didn't hurt as much as i thought it would and then there were people that i realized had been there all along who i had never been paying attention to mm-hmm. you know who like stepped up and were amazing friends to me and that has been like how often in life do you get an experience that just clarifies yeah, everything what a gift. for you? You mm-hmm. know, you're just like, Great. You're like, wow, yeah. like the, the the here is the deck. Ooh. And <laughs> I think that for me that was like a really transformative experience. And truly, you know, it's it's also just like, okay, like that's not the hardest thing I've done in life. It's probably not gonna be the hardest thing I'm gonna do even this decade. Um, and and I'm glad that you know. For it's been helpful for other people in my life. I Anne um, ended up planning this like series of blood drives because that was one of my stipulations when I told everyone I had cancer. I was like, please don't text me. Just like do blood drives right sure like, yeah yeah because my, my therapist was like if you if people are driving you crazy you have to give them something right. to do and I was like great this, this is a thing you can works. do like don't text yeah. me I'm watching housewives like do other things <laughs> and it was really funny that through the experience of the blood drive I now know all of my friends weird illnesses <laughs> because people people thought the blood was for me and they're like I mean I'm so sorry I can't give blood I've like slept with men before and the like they won't <laughs> let me donate or I have malaria or I have this weird condition and I've like slept with it men was before. so <laughs> hilarious. I mean, yeah, the blood donation requirements in America are so homophobic and awful.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, mm. just the
2: whole thing is just yeah. Like, talk about another that's, scam. That's like, a whole it's other just so awful.
1: can of worms. Um,
2: but it was just like that to me was like a really. It's like one of the most like delightful things that happened is that now like truly I know what all of my friends <laughs> yeah. like. You know, I'm just like what I'm like. You had hepatitis when you know like all yeah, of yeah, these yeah. <laughs> all of me these about things. It. And for me, it just like opened up a really fun line of communication. And like, I was like, great. I was like, now we have no shame. Mm. I was like, you like literally know everything about the inside of my vagina and my uterus. And I know something about your medical condition and we still love each other. And it's fine.
1: Um, uh, Call Your Girlfriend podcast. Uh, People can check it out, I guess, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We we didn't really go into it, but we did like kind of uh, talk about it here and there. But Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close, that is the book uh that you have co-authored with um with an your your co-host of the podcast as well um where can people where can people keep up with you follow you uh keep up to date with all the the cool shit that you're up to
2: um you can find me at bigfriendship.com uh where all things big friendship live or at call your girlfriend.com where all things call your girlfriends live. Sweet.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time today to uh to shoot the shit with us and, and to give us a little peek into your experience, uh, with, with cancer. I think, you know, it's like, we covered a lot of shit today, but I feel like there's a lot of it that's definitely going to like resonate with a lot of our listeners, especially, especially a lot of our listeners who, uh, who have vaginas and who have also gone through similar experiences to yourself. So, uh, thanks for, thanks for taking the time.
2: Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me I, uh, you know, this was This was really fun, Canadian people Who knew, just delightful, delightful uh, Everything they say about your people uh, <laughs> That's true um, Yeah, I, uh, I I really appreciate you all Making the time, this was really cool. great uh,
1: thank And thank you, you all so much for listening, we hope you enjoyed it uh, As always, we'll be back next week With another episode, another conversation In the meantime, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating or review, hit the subscribe button All that stuff, go to Spot, uh, Spotify and you can follow us there. Um, and if you want to support the podcast in, in greater ways, you can do that. You're welcome to. Head
3: right on over to patreon.com slash sickboy. Um, Patreon is just totally popping off. We're having Wednesday night hangouts every Wednesday night. Um, there's there's You're getting free access to our digital You'll shows. You'll literally drown um, in patron. shit
1: to do over there. At-
3: yeah, you're going to have so much shit to do. If you're stuck inside somewhere, you're going to be... You're gonna be aching for less to do if you're a patron oh, of Sick Boy, right. <laughs> uh, Patreon.com/sickboy.
0: And thanks as always to Donovan, the CPAP Morgan, for the amazing sound design on the show. Um, Donovan, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about uh, listening to Call Your Girlfriend podcast, and uh, and you know, it's been making me think a lot about like sitting in my laundry room as like a twelve-year-old guy uh, sitting there with a rotary phone. Dialing up my friends and like having these like long thoughtful conversations into the evening, even as a twelve-year-old boy. So, did you um, and I
3: have long thoughtful conversations? Uh, I think in your so. laundry room when we were twelve. So we're
0: calling so, at least calling people that I wanted so to, cute. you know, that I was romantically crushing on. At yeah, that sounds. That sounds.
3: So, that sounds so, uh,
0: so Donovan, thanks for making it sound like I'm dialing that rotary phone and those phones are just ringing off the hook right now. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, that and great. that's all I got, guys.
1: Uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. Amazing. Sweet.